Welcome to the Man Under Construction Podcast. Yes, it's the Man Under Construction Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again. I want to thank you for your continued support on the Instagram page. I continue to pour my heart into that and to share things that I'm dealing with and things that I've learned along the way. And I thank you for sending me messages and letting me know that they challenge you as well and they help you and inspire you to be better individuals, better men, to lead your family, to lead your children, and to stand out in a society that seems to be losing their marbles. I continue to work on the material for the podcast, but right now I'm in a transitional phase. I have uh, several things going on in life, and I'm waiting for them to settle down before I start uh, back on podcasting. So I want to thank you for your patience on that. Thank you so much for being understanding. And today is a special podcast. I have a friend of mine. He goes by the name or the handle on Instagram, an enlightened felon. His name is Tilden Carter, and he's going to share parts of his life today. He's going to share his history and how he got to the Enlightened Felon. He's writing a book, and I'll let him share all the details. And joining us via Zoom is Tilden Carter, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, thank you for joining us, Mr. Tilden Carter. He's a, he's a guy I met on Instagram. We've crossed paths, and we're part of a, a group of, of gentlemen that are sharing our experiences and hopes that we can touch uh, different men out there going through through different things and mr uh, mr carter if i may call you mr carter with all due respect (laughs) (laughs) no actually um tilden goes by the the moniker or the handle on twitter on instagram i'm sorry not twitter the enlightened felon and what he's doing is amazing i he's uh, shared a little bit of, of his story and what he's doing. He actually let me read the first chapter to an upcoming book or a book that he's working on. And he highlights different aspects of, of his, of his life, of his journey. Uh, and by the, the handle on Instagram, the enlightened felon, you can tell that he's been down a certain road, but he didn't let that take him down. He made some choices. He made some, some decisions to get himself out to dig himself out and be a better individual when he got out. And actually he's taking this story to help other guys that have been down this path of um, being incarcerated, being titled a felon. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So uh, like we talked about the book that, that I'm going to release this fall is called don't just settle uh, finding your threshold. Um, and so what kind of brought that about was the last, I would say three months or so that I was in prison, I wanted to, to get out of prison, not just a changed person, but a better person and not just as good as I was before I went or before I made any of the mistakes that I made, but I wanted to be a better person than I'd ever been. Um, and then continue that evolution from there on. And so what kind of led me to the enlightened felon handle and, and thinking about that stuff is I really prayed and meditated while I was there about what I needed to do when I got out and what my purpose was. So I think that's the ultimate goal that all of us have is to find our life's purpose. And it came to me really strongly that the enlightened felon was something that I needed to do and I needed to name it that 
just to get, I really wanted to get a new group of people into this kind of an area. Um, a lot of guys get out and they want to make changes, but they don't really have a system to, to rely on. Uh, and so I wanted a system where they could relate to somebody, um, another felon, yeah. if, if you will. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of, you know, maybe I'm reading a different aspect of it, but I think you made an excellent choice by going with the enlightened felon because felon carries a stigma to it. And, it does. And, yeah. And, and, and as soon as you hear it, or as soon as you see it on someone's name, you automatically think the worst or that this person's horrible, but the way you're bringing it about, I th you're bringing it uh, some attention but you're, you're creating a positive message out of something negative. If, if right. that makes the, any sense. What I saw from it was, and the reason I chose to rather than kind of hide that label of being a felon, which a lot of people do. Yeah. And I understand why, uh, because it's, it is a stigma and people look down on you and judge you because of it. Rather than do that, I decided to kind of wear it almost like a scarlet letter uh, and just blast it out front because if I owned it, then nobody could use it against me. And so my goal there was I wanted to do two things with the enlightened felon company. And that was to empower other felons. Um, as I studied more, I realized how many of, of us there really were. So in the U S they stay statistically, uh, 8% of the U S are felons. And so that's 25 million people. That's so that's a huge people. audience of people to be put into a corner and told that they're no good or that they can't contribute or amount to anything anymore. And, and I felt like those people need to feel empowered. They need to feel like it's okay to forgive themselves and move on and build a life that's worth living out of that. And I felt like if I could lead that by my example as well and bring the attention to all the people who aren't felons and kind of get them to realize that you are going to have your hardcore felons that are kind of scary guys. <laughs> but for the most part, uh, most of these people, they're just like you or me um, or my wife or anybody else. And they're just people who have made a mistake. Yeah. And, and, and that mistake, shouldn't define the rest of their lives like, like i was saying when i just actually thought about it like you said you're wearing it like a uh you're wearing it like a badge of honor you're just embracing it you're taking it and that's actually contrary to what anybody would do like you said they would hide it put it under put it under a rock and wish it would disappear but you've actually taken it and try to spread a good message about it and you're right uh, a lot of people that come out aren't ready to deal with normal life again and they end up in the same place the, mm -hmm. the same place that you know before they were incarcerated or a lot of times they end up back in, right. in prison and that was that was a thing that i saw a lot like during the time i was there i saw some guys come back like two or three times and and i realized that you know our our system as a, as a justice system in this country is broken it's absolutely broken Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of privatized prisons that are out there. And yeah. so what that, what that makes is an environment where people are making profit from people being in jail, which is never good. 
because uh, if, if that's the business model that you have, those people have a lot of money and power. They can lobby and make sure that certain laws for smaller offenses that aren't, aren't going to matter will land somebody into their institution so that they have a payday. Yeah, it, it incentivizes so, yeah. for people to <laughs> be in prison. Yeah, yeah. It really does. And so the only way to change that is to break that cycle and, and really concentrate on empowering and fixing the felons. Because the system, I don't think that's going to change. And there's nothing we can do about that uh, other than maybe get friends with a senator or, you know, start to lobby. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one step at short a time. Of doing, short of doing that, what we need to do is, is start uh, with the small goals. And I think the, the first place you got to start is with yourself. Exactly right. So, so I, I know that you're here now, you've gotten to this point. You're, you're out, you're, you're writing this book, which, you, uh, like I mentioned, you let me read that first chapter and I was, I was blown away by it, by just uh, your path or your journey. And, and I, I can't wait to read the rest of it. So um, as soon as it comes out, you let me know and, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be oh, the first sure. one on there. I want to read, <laughs> I want to, I want to read the rest of the story. And I'm more than sure that I can take lessons away from that as well. But Without giving too much away what you're going to write, uh, would, would you share the journey to where you got right now? And you told me that you, did, uh, you served our country, which thank you for your service. Right. Yeah, I grew up, um, I've kind of had a wild life, to be honest. Um, I grew up on a farm. Uh, then about my sophomore year, we, we moved to Wisconsin, and then we ended up moving back to Idaho. Um, I decided I wanted to be an actor and a model. And so I took off Seattle, did an audition, then I ended up getting a modeling acting contract in LA. So I took off to LA to be an actor. Um, it's funny because some, yeah, some of the guys that I did like my first like independent films with. Where, like, where can we find this footage and these photos? <laughs> <laughs> could, could you provide a link? For that now, just, if they I'll Google just my first and last name, it pops up IMDb and it shows this funny movie that was kind of it was like a concept called Want versus Do. Like what? It was a short film made by me and a guy named Jeff Bosley, and he's actually pretty famous now. He just did a movie with Uma Thurman. Okay. And uh, basically, it's this guy driving home, and you know he's mad at this guy, and I was the guy, uh, and I happen to have like a lemonade stand or something like that. And so he pictured in his head how he wanted to handle it. And he, he hopped out of his van and we got in a fight and I threw him through the table and then it, it escalates and he ends up killing me and then takes off in his van. And so it's what, it was basically a parody of what, what you want to do versus what you really do. I got to uh, check that out. I'm going to, I'm going to search for it. <laughs> but I love that. I was out there for a little over a year and a half, but I kind of, the way I was raised was pretty conservative. Um, I grew up, uh, my family's all LDS. Uh, mm -hmm. so my, my values were conflicting with the lifestyle. Um, that's a, that's a pretty wild lifestyle. The Hollywood lifestyle. Right. And so, so I felt like at a certain point that I was kind of losing who I was and if I ever were to go back there, I think I could do fine because I know who I am now. But as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid who 
hasn't established who they are as a person or, or what they will or won't stand for, if, if you don't know what you stand for, it's really easy to get put in situations where, you know, you might do something that you'll regret or do yeah. something that you shouldn't do. Uh, so I moved back and I joined the military uh, and I did five years in the military and I ended up getting married and uh, me and my ex-wife have uh, two kids. Uh, one's my stepson and then my daughter. Um, but when I got out, it had taken a toll. It had taken a huge toll. Um, so out of the five years, I was probably deployed for about three and a half. Um, I did four different tours. And that really took a toll on our family. Um, every time I came back, my wife was, because uh, she had had a past history um, with addiction and stuff. And so that was kind of the road she turned to when I was gone. And I couldn't 100% blame her uh, because that's a, a really stressful thing for any partner or spouse to go through. Uh, having you know their husband say, hey, I've got to go tomorrow morning and I'm not sure when I'll be back. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, Understand. I might be able to get a hold of you in 30 days. It's probably going to be about four months and yeah. I'll probably come back. You know, that's a hard thing to swallow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely understandable why or how anyone might uh, crack under the pressure of that. Well, I think the, the families of military veterans are really the heroes that people don't see. Uh, we're all quick to acknowledge and appreciate the veterans, but I don't think people realize that that wife and those kids are serving that same, that same service and that same term of enlistment as, yeah. as the soldier himself. Because no, they're not out there on the battlefield with them or, or in those places, but they're going through all the same amount of stress. Yeah, they're, they're holding the fort down at home. Yeah, and that's, that's just as challenging. Yeah. If, if not more. So, so kind of after, after we got out, we ended up, uh, you know, I would have loved to have fixed my marriage, but at that point there was enough damage there that it wasn't really fixable. Um, and so as we separated and got divorced, um, that was the first time in my life I'd ever got into a substance abuse thing. Uh, before then I had on the weekends at barbecue and maybe, drink a little bit or play some beach volleyball on deployments and drink some beers, but yeah. it wasn't ever addiction. Um, and I recognized that the addiction didn't start or, or happen until I was covering up pain. And so that was, that was the difference. I would say yeah. like, and like that's how things, it usually starts. That's how it usually oh, it is. You, you try to suppress something. Mm hmm. Well, and that's how it gets out of control. And I think it's important that people realize one of my favorite things that Tony Robbins says is he says, you know, a lot of these people that go like 12 steps and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they really take on that name tag of being an addict instead of realizing that, that, that that's not what defines them. You know, they're the person that they are and they're just a person who has developed an addiction. And just like you develop an addiction, you can do things to undevelop it. Exactly. And I truly yeah. believe that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and for me, the 12-step, I, I think those are good programs, but that's not worked as worked for me. What worked for me was, was trying to build a life that was valuable and, and great enough to me that there wasn't anything that I was willing to do to jeopardize that. 
That's a, that's yeah. actually a very good perspective to have as well. Because when you, when you balance it out, when you have something that's so dear to you and you balance it out against what you want to do or, or feed this, this addiction, it, the, the desire to want something better outweighs. And it, it doesn't, by no means does it mean that it's an easy fight. Um, right. I, I, I battled addiction, and, and, but in a different way, not through drugs, uh, pornography. And uh, I, I seriously want, I mean, I wanted to get out. I wanted to build a healthy marriage with my wife. Uh, and yeah, you got to find that, that purpose, that reason that outweighs the, I guess, the temporary uh, pleasures of, of your addiction. Right. Well, and, and the thing is, is like for me, uh, the reason it made it hard to quit was it was, you know, I was dealing with all these issues and until then I'd never used any substances. So once I found out, you know, like the little easy button commercials that you used to see when, when stuff starts. The big red button, button, right? Yeah, you hit that big red button, the easy button. And so life gets infinitely harder when you figure out that there's a substance you can take uh, that hits the easy button and allows you to check out. And so that's, that's what got me into, into prison is I didn't want to deal with all the things that, that were piled up and I just checked out. Um, that easy but once I, yeah, every time. Uh, <laughs> no, and it that's, wasn't a, that's a story. You know, I got into jail. Oh yeah. Um, but one of the things I realized in jail was, you know, I was sitting there and I'm like, man, when is it going to be enough? When am I, am I going to hit my rock bottom? When am I going to be sick of this downward spiral? Um, and so this is kind of one of the things that I talk about in the book is that a lot of people are like that. They're looking, they're waiting for their rock bottom or, or they say about somebody else that's not doing great in life. Well, they just haven't hit rock bottom yet. Once they hit, they'll change. Yeah. And what I realized was that rock bottom was a fallacy. There is no such thing as rock bottom. And the reason I say that is, you know, we can all fail or have experiences in our life um, that bring us down a notch. But at that point, it's, it's human nature to be able to live in, in just crazily terrible circumstances. I mean, you look at the, like a kid in Africa versus a kid here with an iPad, and they're yeah. both fairly happy. Um, and so what I realized was, even though tragedy had happened, you get to that low level, and you over time, you're going to acclimate there if you choose to accept it. And once you choose to accept it and acclimate there, that then becomes your new normal. And from there, it's just a matter of time before you make another mistake or fall down another level. And that's your new rock bottom. Mm -hmm. We're, so we're very ad adaptive. Emotionally, we can be very adaptive. Oh, extremely. And so if that's, you know, the, the pattern, you can repeat that until you die. That's, that's the very rock bottom. And so what I realized was if anything was going to change, I had to quit waiting for rock bottom and create my own change. And so for me, what that was, was finding my threshold. And initially I thought of it as like a doorway, like a doorway that I'd cross over to. Um, but when I looked it up in the Webster's dictionary. So there's an alternate definition 
for threshold that says the point at which a physiological or psychological effect begins to be produced. And so that was, that hit me like pretty hard. Like I didn't realize how powerful that was. And so from there I had to try and figure out what was it that would get me on that path to change my momentum and produce that effect. Yeah. And if I could figure that out, then I'd be set. And so I, I have my mom send in uh, some journals and I set a goal to read 50 self-help books. And I ended up reading about like 55 of them, but I developed a routine. And as I learned more and read more, um, I added things to those routines, but my average routine was I'd wake up, pray, meditate, uh, read some scriptures uh, from there, I'd start my day by writing three things that I was grateful for. Uh, then I would write about an experience that I'd had with a person from the day before, an interaction, mm-hmm. um, a positive interaction. Uh, the reason I did those and the gratefulness things is if you start your day that way, it kind of tunes your mind to look for those throughout the day. So throughout the day, even in a place like prison, I was looking for things to be grateful for. And I was looking for a way to positively interact and create an experience with someone else. What's crazy too is what I learned is a lot of, a lot of people feel like once they, they've got to that level or, or a felon or they're in trouble that they can't come back from that. And what I've learned is nobody out there wants you to not come back from that. Everybody's rooting for you. Everybody wants you to come back from that. And, yeah. and they're going to encourage you every way they can. So while I was in prison, part of that was I decided that, you know, not only was I going to be in prison and, and do this program that they'd asked me to do and not get in any trouble, but I was going to try to be the best prisoner that they'd ever had. Um, and so I think I accomplished that, but I set out and it started in steps. Um, and so I, I was reading like an average of six to eight hours a day at least. Mm-hmm. Um, taking notes on those books and then I would journal. Um, but you can get jobs. So you didn't get paid for these jobs. I wish you did, <laughs> but you know, um, it just so the first job. I, yeah, it just, it looks good. Um, and it shows them that, that you're finding something constructive to do with your time instead yeah. of, uh, idle hands and finding ways to get in trouble. Um, and so the program I was in, you can get written up for anything, like just the s- smallest of an infraction. You can get mm-hmm. written up for being in somebody else's area. And so it's very rare that somebody will make it through that entire process without getting one. Yeah. And I, I was able to make it through the entire process and never have any kind of disciplinary action or get in trouble whatsoever. Uh, so the first job I got was the librarian. Uh, and then I worked my way up as the head librarian. Um, and then from there, kind of the, the more prestigious job there, and they only let certain people on it, was the color guard. And so that was something that I wanted to get into because I'm a veteran. Um, and so those are the guys that, that take the flag down and put it up every day. Mm-hmm. And they do it very, even in prison, very ceremoniously. They, there's a pattern that they march. They fold it up. Um, everybody you know, that's there in prison is expected to halt and stop and like observe reverence for the process. And so about a month after being on the color guard, I became the captain. 
Um, so now I was in charge of organizing the practices, uh, deciding who else I was going to put on that team, the standards that I was going to expect from its members. Because uh, the guy that ran it, um, one of the counselors and, and guards, mm-hmm. he, he gave me a lot of control that way. And he said, you know, this is your team. And so I, I put pretty high standards on my guys. I said, you know, if you got written up, you need to bring it to us right away. You might or might not be taken off the color guard, depending on the offense. Um, but for sure you will be for at least a week. There, there will be some kind of reprimand for it because we essentially are trying to represent the best of the best in prison. Um, and so from there, they ended up having a job come open where there's two guys that were allowed to leave the compound uh, with a civilian guy and go work in a recycling center. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to send anybody they don't trust. Of course but not. over the, <laughs> the course of being there, um, through being a librarian and a color guard captain, I made it right to the top of that list and was able to get that job. So mm-hmm. by the time I, I left prison, essentially, I had three of the most coveted jobs there. Um, and, and I'd completely changed who I was as a person. Um, and I'd even, uh, so I'd prayed and meditated and I wanted to find my purpose. I think that's a really important thing that we do as human beings is be able to find our purpose in life. Cause it's okay to put food on the table and have a job, but you're never really going to be fulfilled until until you're serving a purpose, I feel like. Well, that, that's more of an obligation. That's like a duty. That's something you got to do. You got to do, provide and put food on the table. But you're right, with, without, no, without any passion or a goal or a dream, you simply, you, you slowly die. It's a slow death on the inside. It is. It's easy to bitter. Yeah, you become bitter, you become resentful, and you, you take it out on the people that love you. And it, it has nothing to do with them. It's just you have no purpose and no desire and you're, you're, you're coming apart on the inside. It is. I think it's something that kind of eats you from the inside out, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my goal getting out was I needed to find that purpose. And so I kind of prayed and meditated on that. And that the concept of the enlightened felon hit me really hard. Uh, as, as a very clear, defined, and strong answer. So I went as far as while I was still incarcerated, because um, my mom had my money and controlled my money and stuff, um, I had her get on and buy the domain. So I was already committed to the enlightenedfelon.com before I ever even left prison. So I'd already made up in my mind that this is what was going to happen when I got out. And I felt like that's what made the difference this time is I had planned out in detail the first six months of my life after I got out. Um, and I had done it very carefully. And that's something that I want to kind of accomplish with this book. Cause I think there's a lot of families out there that want to reach a loved one that might be locked up or that's struggling with addiction. And the problem is a lot of them don't know how to reach that person. Um, and the thing I'm going to tell them with this book, and I'm going to go out of my way to make it available so that it can be sent into the institutions. Uh, so the first part of it's going to be talking about my life, the things I went through and had to overcome and some of the ways I did that. But then the, the end part of it, I want it to be a, a workbook format so that 
I can take them through these exercises uh, yeah. and help them plan their first six months once they get out. That's so awesome. that by the time they get out, they have a, a written plan that says who they will and won't associate with, mm -hmm. um, you know, who they're going to allow themselves to be around, set the standards that they're going to live by, what time they're going to go to bed, the daily routine and habits that they're going to uphold. And I think if the thing is, is a lot of people try to reach these guys when they're out and active in their addiction, and that's not the time to to reach them the time to reach them is a couple weeks after they just got arrested and they're clean for the first time they're sober they're thinking clearly and they're humble and they're as far down as they feel they can get and so is, at that is, point is is that something that you see a lot like uh i guess it depends on the individual but like once they're in there the, do a majority of people go through that phase like, man, you know, I'm here. I got to, I got to change something. Is there that, is there a, that place of vulnerability that, that people hit when, you know, they're incarcerated? There is. Um, so what I saw is basically there's kind of like two kinds of guys that will come in. You'll have the guys that are maybe career criminals. And as soon as they come in, they're, you know, what's up, what's up, saying hi to everybody because they already know everybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> They've got this whole network of friends inside there. Um, they're making two or three phone calls to this chick or that chick or their mom, make sure money's on their books and their phone. And, and they're all settled in and playing cards and gambling and, and messing around. Like, a, know, rotation, right like a rotating door. Yeah. And it's just, it's not a big deal to them. It's nothing. But then you've got the people that this isn't their normal. This isn't what they consider normal. This is a... They made, one, they made one bad choice. Right. And they, they get in there. And you, I think essentially what happens when, when you do go to prison and you end up in there is one of two things. Either you assimilate or you make the decision in your mind that this isn't me. And so mm -hmm. that's the decision I made is yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I made some mistakes, but this isn't me and this isn't who I am or who I want to be. Yeah. And the only person that can change that is me. And is that the, the demographic that you're going for, for those people in, in that particular, because obviously trying to reach people that they've resigned their life of, I'm here for a few months, I'm going to get out and come back. It's just routine. Uh, but that's the demographic right. you're shooting for, right? The, the individuals that yeah. um, they made one. So that's, yeah, and that's the demographic that I'm shooting for. And I, I want to also do it in a way. And so I, the enlightened felon, I, I try to do that in a way as well to where it's, you know, eventually it's going to be, there's specific targeted advice for those people. But I want it to be something that's inspirational or useful to anybody. Yeah. You know, yeah, your average person walking down a sidewalk can usually look at one of my Instagram posts and take something away from that. And it, you know, have a positive thought provoked or a question, you know, asked in their head that makes them, you know, think about things or improve their life in some way. And so that's really the goal of the company. Um, but the reason I, I chose to go with the, the enlightened felon is if you look at all the different niches and groups of people, I don't feel like that group has anybody at the head of it that is trying to bring them together for a better or higher cause. You're right. I would have to agree. Yeah, you're right. 
as soon as you told me what you're doing, this is, I've heard variations or, or support groups trying to reach out, but not to the depth that, that you're trying to, to go to. It's a very rare uh, aspect of it. Well, and my kind of my goal is, you know, I've got a couple of things on YouTube and I'm going to kind of go more in depth on YouTube a little bit later. Right now, my huge focus is just on like Instagram mm -hmm. um, and I'm a podcast going. Uh, so when I do start the podcast, kind of the format that I am going to shoot for there is I want to interview um, other felons that have gotten out and become really successful in business. So I've got a couple buddies that are pretty successful. Uh, they're doing really well uh, in different jobs. Uh, I met a guy that was a, became a professional skateboarder, another guy that owns a company that sells meat door to door, another guy that owns a big construction firm. Yeah. But what I want to do is I want to sit these guys down and in long form conversation, interview them and say, okay, how did you get from just got out of jail with a backpack full of clothes to a successful guy that's got a life that's worth living and what are some of the the roadblocks that you've encountered on the way there so the reason i want to do that is that gives essentially somebody getting out of prison a blueprint that they can follow and it's going to give them a choice of 15 to 20 blueprints that they can identify and find the one that is going to be the most useful to them mm -hmm. and then follow it from there um, and then the idea with the book is when I talk to families, you know, there's a lot of families that'll pay 40 or 50 bucks a week every week to make sure that these inmates have commissary. So if yeah. they could pay 40 bucks or 30 bucks for a book to send it in there and change their lives, of course they're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's no reason they wouldn't want to. And what'll be neat with this book that, you know, another book's not going to have is after they plan out that six months of their life, when they get out, it's not over. Um, now they can get a smartphone and get hooked into Instagram, get hooked into our Facebook, watch YouTube videos, mm -hmm. uh, listen to podcasts and essentially have an entire network of support to help them on that road and to accomplishing the goals that they set for themselves. Yeah. So you're definitely, you're, uh, you're starting off while they're in there, you're helping them, uh, set goals. And then once they're out, you're still connected to them in some way giving guidance and some uh, inspiration, motivation. And that, that's, that's really awesome. And that, is, that is really awesome. That's something that I haven't heard of in, uh, lately, and that's, that's kind of mind-blowing. It, it's pretty awesome. Well, I think, you know, I've seen some of the programs of the state funds and things like that, and yeah. they'll send these guys to these programs and make them do this little workbook. But these guys are getting out and this is what I realized is they're getting out and they're going home to the same people, the same places, the same yes. situation. And, and, and uh, inevitably, they're doing the exact same thing and they're ending up right, right where they were. And that's back behind bars. And I'm sure they're remorseful every uh -huh. time, but that cycle is going to continue itself until, cause I'm telling you when these guys are in there, they want to change. You can tell that they want to be better people. You yeah. can tell that they're, they're tired of letting the people in their life down. But when they get out and, and that temptation is put in front of them or they're putting in a situation that they're not ready for, yeah. it's, it's easy to fail. And uh, so I think a lot of times it's really, it's, it's the only path they know. There are other paths 
but they they're just they just know of that one and i kind of what i what i see from what you're doing you're presenting a different path and and also too right. i noticed that with uh, the programs you you mentioned by the state yeah they they have job placement and and little things like that but i i notice uh from what you're talking about you're you're digging deeper you you just don't want to okay i'm just going to go, go through the motions get a job try to provide try to fit into society but you're dealing on a deeper level the emotional part the the inward part where all the decision making comes in the the heart and the mind and i think that's very important to reach because everything else if it's not decided in your heart it's just going to be a superficial choice and you're going to end up in the same place you know for sure um and i think i explain that to some people on like the instagram stuff about your why i think it's if if you don't have a strong enough why you're gonna fail um, but if you do have a strong enough why, like what is the reason I'm changing? What is the reason I'm doing these things and making these kind mm -hmm. of sacrifices? Then you can do anything, you know. Um, like one of the books I read in there, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He's a he was a psychologist that came up with a therapy called logotherapy. But one of the things that he talks about is the the thing that he thought helped him survive those concentration camps is if they could define a purpose for their suffering so his purpose for his suffering was that when he got out he was going to develop this therapy and help people and and he helped a lot of other holocaust victims and things like that um but it made it easier to endure the stuff that he was going through because he felt like he was, he was doing it for a reason. Yeah. And that has to do with a lot with internal stuff. If you don't strengthen the internal part of yourself, uh, like you said, they're going to, you're going to repeat the same actions because you can dress it up all on the outside and you can play the part, but if you're not fortified or strengthened on the inside, or, or if you're not driven by a purpose or have a passion in life, all that's going to fall apart and it's, it's inevitable. It's just a matter of time. So I, I definitely see the, the, just the, the idea of what you're trying to do. And I can see it uh, changing people's lives. Definitely. Because when you, when you deal with the inside, it, it has a bigger impact. Right. And well, kind of like what I've got envisioned for the future too, is when these guys get out, you know, they've usually got a parole officer or a probation officer. Uh, if something's going wrong, you're not very likely to tell that person what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. So if you can have an outlet where you can talk about the challenges that you're facing, or let's say you relapsed and made a mistake. If there's somebody that you can message on Instagram or Facebook, um, and, and maybe get some feedback or you can go look at a discussion thread and, and create, you know, friendships there with like-minded people um, and essentially build, build a network of people yeah. you can talk to about the things that you're going through. You're more likely to be successful because if, if you have nobody, then you're just going to keep it to yourself and that sickness is going to grow. Yeah. It's just going to keep uh, taking you down. So uh, you're working on this book. Do you have any idea when, it, when it's going to come out? So I'm shooting for like this fall, um, sometime before December. You say, is it still a work in progress? You're editing and putting it all together? It is. 
Yeah, so I've got a pretty good outline of what I want it all to be and how yeah. I want it all to fit. Um, but it's man, it's tough to make yourself sit there. You know, I usually, and and that's one of the things with my Instagram too is I want to be real. I want to have a real portrayal. You see a lot of these people on Instagram, they're like, oh, I'm a marketing specialist and a Bitcoin this or that. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. portray this lavish lifestyle when that's probably not the case at all. They probably have a day job. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of my posts are like, hey, yeah, right now I have a day job. I don't like it. In no <laughs> way do I like my day job. Um, but I'm doing it because this is what's going to give me the money to, to build and get the tools that I need to build this other life that, that I want to teach other people how to do and be able to enjoy that, be financially free, spend time with my family, uh, work for myself, never work for anybody else again. But what's important to me is that as I go through that journey, I show it, even though it might be that day that I, you know, was driving a cement mixer and got stuck in the mud or was out in the heat for 12 hours a day. I want to show that so that when those people get on there, they realize that this dude's a real deal. Yeah. And, and that stuff is day-to-day stuff that anybody can do. And that's repeatable. I don't want to ever present an image that's so larger than life that somebody doesn't feel like that's attainable. I want everybody to feel like, and, and then maybe someday, ideally, you know, we all hope that down the road when you are successful, down the road when you have you know, achieved some things of merit and, and you don't have to worry about the day job anymore and that stuff, that there'll be a journal of that. So yeah. if, when I say, you know, I started from nothing with a backpack, they'll believe me. If they yeah. don't believe me, they can go back and look and see, oh, that was really the and case. That's one thing I always uh, try to talk about as well or try to portray on my Instagram. And I can see it through yours as well is, I mean, people can, people can see it. Like you said, these, uh, marketing people, these Bitcoin people, yeah, nobody's buying that. I, we know that you go to the dealership at Ferrari and take a picture next to the car you wish you had, you know, um, (laughs) uh, people are hungry for honesty. People are, and it's, and that's what people need to get is like, yeah, I haven't thrown the post out, but you know, yesterday I get off work. I work 12 hours in the heat. Uh, I get on the freeway and a semi kicks a chunk of road up and it pops one of my back tires. Uh, so I had to hurry and get off the freeway, pull into a gas station and parked. Uh, none of the tire shops were open. And of course I've got a jacked up truck with the 35 inch tires that cost 450 bucks a pop and (laughs) your insurance isn't going to cover it. That's, that's Uh, real right there. That's real. Yeah. Oh, it is. And so, (laughs) you know, I had to have my wife come and get me. And then that was a problem that we're going to have to work out today uh, and get that tire replaced. And, you know, a lot of us would like to think that we've got enough money laying around to fix any issue, but most Americans don't even have enough in savings to cover their living expenses yeah. for a month in order to lose their job. And, that, and yeah, so that's, that's the, that's the truth right there. You know, when you're on your way from home from work and you get tagged with a $500 tire bill, that's real. And yeah. that's what I want people to see is no matter what you do, there's going to be challenges yeah. and, and it's, you respond to those. Even if you make all the right choices or, or 
you're consider you consider yourself a good person or you do all the right things, no matter where you are, you're going to confront challenges. I, I had another question um, in regards to once you get your book out, do you plan on on like going back, maybe visiting some of these uh, prisons and talking in in person to some of these these uh, inmates? I do. So what my goal kind of long term was um, is big picture. I want to become the best version of me that I can be. Okay. So mm -hmm. that when your average inmate gets out and looks at me and then looks me up, they can say that this is a guy that I want to, I want to be like, and um, their family and friends can say, well, that's a guy that I'd like you to be like, yeah. you know, and so that's what <laughs> led me things that I that I've gotten into and so I, I got big into fitness so this next year I'm planning on competing in bodybuilding um, that's a big push for me uh, but I want to excel on as many platforms that other people would that I enjoy but that other people would admire and seek after yeah. if, if you will uh, so that I, you know, I can try and be an example to as many people as I can and so the next step of that was after that book came out, I'd, I'd really like to take some of the concepts that are in the book and, and do some public speaking, you know, even corporate speaking um, where I'm talking to people about these concepts at a work level and how they, cause you could better your life in any way. Yeah. I know that a lot of these principles, a lot of these principles that you're coming out with can be applied in any aspect of life, not just, you know, for someone just right. coming out of, uh, you know, doing time in prison you can apply them. And I, I, I guess I, you've stated that and I get that vibe too, that you just not only want to speak to those people, you want to speak to everyone. Right. And so my goal is, you know, everyone has access to the Tony Robbins. So Tony Robbins caters to everyone. But what I want to do is, is initially target these guys, but mm -hmm. I also want to reach everyone. I want to do something that no matter who you are, woman, child, man, teenager, yeah. whoever, uh, what I have to offer is of value to you. And so what I want to do was as I do those public speaking things or these corporate speaking events, whatever city I do that in or whatever area I do that in, I would like to get to where I can find the local warden um, and go in and talk to those guys. So I'd probably charge yeah. like a fee to speak, but then I will go for free and speak to the guys in the jail. Um, yeah, because yeah. I feel like that's where it's got to start. Um, mm -hmm. you know, none of us like the fact, and, and the U S probably has more people in prison than anywhere else. We incarcerate a lot of our, our citizens and nobody wants that. You know, we don't want to yeah. have to as taxpayers pay for these guys to be locked in a cell and feed them every day. They don't want to be locked in a cell. Um, and, you know, they get out and they kind of feel like they don't fit anymore. And that's the only way to change it is to make these guys feel like let's, let's just treat it like a mistake and mm -hmm. move on. And it looks like, it looks like someone just got there too. Yeah. Yeah. So my <laughs> wife just walked in. <laughs> it's all right, brother. It's all right. It's all good. It's, this is real. This is what happens. You're doing a podcast and your wife walks in. This is real talk. Right? Right? You know, I'm not, I don't have a huge studio or a, <laughs> super cool. I've got some decent equipment and stuff, but the reality is I'm in my living room. That's where I build. <laughs> and I'm in my I, kitchen, brother. Don't worry about it. 
<laughs> this is, this is and, as real as it gets. Well, and that's the thing is I think everybody thinks it's cool to be, you know, taking the pictures in front of the cars and this and that. And, and I don't think that's cool. I don't really admire that. What I admire is the people that are willing to expose themselves and, and capture the gritty aspect of their life yeah. because that's what everybody can relate to. You know, we all know what that feels like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. I've been in, in some pretty tough spots myself. So your book's coming out soon. You said you had a website. What, what was that website? Or you want so, to tell us, uh, go ahead and tell us about that where people can find you, uh, your handle. Yeah. Like so it's uh, the enlightened felon.com. Um, and so from there, there's links to the YouTube channel, uh, the enlightened felon on YouTube. Um, I have a, the enlightened fell on Facebook um, and then Instagram. Instagram is probably my biggest push where I hit daily posts. And the thing that the goal that I've set with my Instagram is you'll see a lot of people that will have like quotes and stuff like that uh, quite often. Um, yeah. And I don't know if some of those are manufactured slides by other people. I think there's probably companies that you can just go out and pay a fee and get you know, 200 slides to throw up on your account. Uh, <laughs> I, I, well, I'll be, I'll be real with, well, a lot of the stuff I do, uh, I, I, I read, uh, and then derive a thought from that. And some, some quotes that do stand out for me, I do share them, but I, I, I don't get them from a slide. I take the time to, to well, use an app to put it together and, and put a thought together. Right. Well, I've noticed that with yours. Yours are individual. I've, I've seen, you've, we've all seen those accounts that it's just, you know, they're just trying to get followers and likes and they don't yeah. care. Yeah, like um, something real simple like, man up, boom, 10,000 yeah. likes. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, like my thing is, you know, I think long or short term, it's harder because you have to build that following a piece by yeah. piece. Uh, but long term, it's going to have relevance. Because the audience that I build long term are going to be a loyal audience mm -hmm. that's devoted to the same principles, uh, that's devoted to the same lifestyle habits. Um, and, and it was funny because, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and this guy was talking, he's got a big nutrition supplement company. He said, down the road, what you're going to see is these girls that are, you know, putting a picture of their butt uh, and they're getting you know, 10,000 likes, yeah. eventually when the advertisers move to that platform, they will pay those people at first, uh, you know, like the Kardashians and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But they're going to stop because they're going to realize that ad money is being wasted because they're not reaching a target audience that's specific yeah. or that has certain defined interests that, that go along with that person's account. It's just a whole bunch of dudes that like your butt. They don't care about your product. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know? That's the truth right there. That's the and truth. so he's, you know, he said that you know what you're going to see down the road is somebody that has a, a well-developed uh, following of 10,000 people mm -hmm. is going to be able to, to get more money out of an advertiser because they can give them data. They can give them specifics. Yeah. Of and, and plus, I mean, when, you, when you do it slow and you work at it, you do, like you say, you develop a following that's loyal, but you develop a, a following of, of people who are genuinely interested in what you have to say. They're not, you know, interested in your butt per se. <laughs> They're right. interested in what you have to, they see the value in what you have to offer. And that's, that's, that's a lot more important. 
I think we all have, we all have different interests and we all have stuff that, you know, we like or dislike. Um, but I really think that we all have a personality. And so I think it's important to put your personality into your page and your personality into your content. And so that's something that I've worked really hard for mm -hmm. is to, you know, put my daily life. Like the other day, um, I don't know. I just decided that I was going to get my wife to go cliff diving with me and jump off a cliff. <laughs> I saw that. I saw it. And, and I do. Enjoy, and like, like you said, um, I may not have, I didn't walk the same path you did, but you share your story and you share different insights or different things that, that you experienced throughout your daily life. And, and some I can relate to and some I can't, but the ones that I can't, I can still derive uh, the thought that you were trying to, portray or trying to illustrate through through your post i can still take away something of value from it and that, that's that's a beautiful thing well that's kind of my goal is i want to make something that anybody can benefit from and um but i want to keep it individual like one of my favorite quotes can't remember who said it um but they said uh when, when you're trying to pick who you want to be just go ahead and pick you because everybody else is taken <laughs> yeah exactly you know? <laughs> and so if you're, if you're, you know, trying to be somebody that you're not, I think people in general are going to see right through that. Yeah. Yeah. People and, can spot fakers a mile away. Yeah. And so with my message and trying to reach those felons, um, and these guys that are maybe a little bit of a harder crowd to, to get their respect, you've got to be the real deal. Uh, so it was important to me to, to be that guy and be genuine and be the real deal. Um, and I think anybody that really gets to know me knows that. And I can, I, I can see your sincerity and your, your honesty through your posts. It, it, it's definitely portrayed through that. And I can see that. So people can find you at the enlightenedfelon.com. Yep. Without taking too much of your, more of your time. Uh, when you do get that book released, I'd like to have you back on so you can go ahead and promote it and share it and, and talk a little bit more about it. No, for sure. I would love to. Um, and then maybe try and get some kind of discount code out there for people. Cause I think the quicker we can get it into people's hands, the bigger difference it's going to make. Yeah. Definitely. So this, this fall is a pretty lofty goal, but <laughs> it's something that I'm willing to stay up till midnight and type and work and do because this isn't a problem that's going away. It's, mm -hmm. it's here. And it's, if anything, it's going to get worse until we do something to change that. Uh, and so the quicker we can get something out there that's going to start, even the smallest ripple of change, it's going to make a difference. I completely agree. And uh, when, when I get this, when I get the podcast out, I'll go ahead and put the, the links to your, your website and, to your Instagram so people can follow you. And uh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your story and tell us a little, bit, a little bit about yourself. No, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been All right. fun. All right, my man. Until next time. All right, you have a good one, man. You too. Thank you once again, Tilden, for taking the time to sit down and chat with us and let us know what's going on right now in your life and for sharing the details on your upcoming book. We can't wait to read it. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast, and we will see you next time, and may God richly bless you.